Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the 22nd episode of Season 9 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalog song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Um, I just wanted to quickly say thanks to all of you who sent me your best wishes last week. I was laid up for the, I don't know, the better part of three days. I slept a lot. Um, congestion, you know, fatigue. Um, but I'm thankful that I was able to take time off work because three full days of, you know, rest, hydration, and sleep got me back up to full speed on the Friday. And I've been pretty good since. Still a little, little bit congested, but nothing too bad. So anyway, thanks again. It was lovely of so many of you to leave me a very nice message. Thank you. Okay, over on social media, we had some good conversation about Out in the Cold. So a couple of weeks ago now, not last week. Um, on Facebook, Susan Nelson said, I was just listening to this song tonight. As usual, Tom says so much without saying too much at all. He lets us fill in the story ourselves. I love that about his lyrics. This is something that I've commented on in the past as well. Um, and the way I've started describing this is, to use a coloring book analogy, Tom roughly sketches the outline and then lets you either add in more detail and then color things in, but doesn't really tell you which colors to use or where there might be lines missing. Mark Lindsay, who was my uh, 10 Questions episode a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, I guess now, um, commented, guitars, guitars, and more guitars. What's not to like? A real rocker. And this is a consistent theme in the Jeff Lynne produced albums. There's no shortage of six-string wizardry on any of them. Um, my pal and executive producer, Paul Roberts, enthused, excellent pod, Kev. Thanks, Paul. Um, this is a complete barnstormer. I must admit, I can see a partial connection to Running Down a Dream with the tempo, but this song has so much more going for it. Pity it wasn't played live more. In my honest opinion, one of the lost tracks on Great Wide Open. Unless you're a pettyhead, you wouldn't even know it existed. It's just behind Running Down a Dream, but as I mark that at an 11, this is a comfortable 10. Play loud, he says. And yes, do turn up the volume. If your neighbours complain, just tell them to stop being petty and start being more petty. That's one petty with a lowercase p and one with an uppercase p, obviously. Um, I'm not sure you're going to verbalise that, though, really, because yeah, I'm sure you clever folks will figure out a way. Um, Jill Lucas is also a fan of this one, writing, Did I just fall your arms down into your hands? This line really stood out for me the first time I heard it. Just brilliant. And me too, Jill. It's a fantastic little lyrical sleight of hand from Tom, which he was so good at, you know, contrasting lyrics like that. Over on Twitter, um, at Crystal Cheryl says, I've always loved that song. It's so different in that there is no build-up. It's a rip-roaring song like an action movie in song form. She also asked, uh, how was the Nightmare Before Christmas Tom uh, made? And so that's the artwork for the Out in the Cold episode. I'd, I'd plugged in a bunch of different things into AI, see what it came up with. Um, but when it came up with something that looked a little bit like Tim Burton-y, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go that way and I'll see what that looks like. Um, and that's Mid Journey. Um, I've been playing with that for, geez, I don't know, 18 months now. And I know there are many ethical and artistic concerns around the use of AI, but for small indie podcasts with no budget for artwork, it's a fun way to play with visual concepts and ideas and create new and hopefully interesting artwork. Like any tool, you know, there's the creative components using Midjourney, and I like to think that you almost have to play it like an instrument. You can get a basic tune out of it, but to get really interesting results, you have to learn where its little hidden valleys are and figure out how to explore them. So thanks as always for your social media comments. You keep leaving them and I'll keep reading them. Uh, today's episode looks at the fourth track from side two of Into the Great Wide Open, You and I Will Meet Again. Go check the episode notes for a link to the song if you want to listen to it before we get into it.
You and I Will Meet Again was, maybe somewhat surprisingly, never played live. It's the third and final track from Into the Great Wide Open that was never aired on stage by the Heartbreakers. There's also a dearth of information about this song that I was able to dig up online. And I do find this interesting because I'm going to assert something in my summation of this episode that I think would have warranted a little more discussion around this song in the petty literature, and also sort of this album a little bit more generally, maybe. Um, If Paul Zolo ever releases an expanded version of his monumental conversations with Tom Petty, I'd be really curious to see if there was anything more said about this particular song. You and I Will Meet Again begins with a wash of gloriously dense guitars. You have two acoustic guitars panned hard into the left and right channels, at least one of which, the left channel I think, is a 12-string. Before the drums kick in, pun intended, uh, you also then have that electric guitar, which sounds like it has a pretty heavy chorus effect on it, uh, and a really warm reverb. That electric is playing those arpeggiated B-sus-2 and F-sharp minor 9 chords uh, throughout the first four bars before the drums kick in. They then continue that pattern, but are joined by a similar electric guitar tone, which plays a, a straight E chord over this big wash. When the rhythm section does come in, the drums are just keeping a straight backbeat without too much fuss, and the bass is playing a standard double-time, two-three-rest, one-two-three-rest pattern that holds around the root notes uh, throughout the song. You know what, here, I'll just play a little bit of the bass. Those suspended chords give the intro an atmospheric, almost... Slightly, not uneasy, but like a a kind of a a pensive feel before the first verse begins and just lifts the song up into this beautiful sunny space. In this first verse, the electric guitars drop out completely and we're left with those two acoustic guitars plus the addition of an organ part from Ben Montench. The slight dynamic change allows Tom's crystal clear vocal to shine above the instrumentation. We get the title line right at the top of the song, which is the first time since Don't Come Around Here No More that Tom has used this particular songwriting trick. However, it's done slightly differently here in that you and I will meet again is part of a full sentence, where Don't Come Around Here No More is a sentence on its own. Tom will do this again on, uh, on the Wildflowers album, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the relationship between this album and that one a little later in the episode, and maybe in more depth on the album rap episode that I'm going to be doing with John Paulson. Uh, but this is the first time he follows this convention in the catalogue so far that I can think of. A cursory scan back suggests that I'm probably right, though. I think this is the first time we get the lead line leading into a, a sentence the way this stone does. The verse is quite light and breezy, and each bar sees a chord change from B to A to E. Then we get a a two-chord change back to the root, A back to B. And so based on the chords in this song, I'm going to guess that the guitars were capoed on the second fret and that the chord shapes were actually A sus 2 and E minor ninth. I also suspect this song might have been ever so slightly sped up or slowed down to get exactly the feel that Tom, Mike Campbell, and Jeff Lynne wanted. Because if you play along to this song you get that ever so slight dissonance between the B chord you play and what's happening in the song. So unless someone tuned ever so slightly flat or sharp and then the rest tuned to that person, which is very unlikely, my guess is that this was done during the mixing process. The first verse clips by pretty quickly before we get a wonderful little low position guitar lick into a very Birds slash Beatles-esque chorus. This lick is complemented by a tight little tom fill that Stan plays and this mixed quite low and a little bit flat so you don't get a lot of reverb on those on those toms in that section. These are not the booming drums of Damn the Torpedoes. And the chorus is only two lines over four bars. It's, it's birds-esque in the way it feels. It's that thing that can be difficult to articulate sometimes in how one thing reminds you of another, but this full step-up change to the minor key, C-sharp minor, if you're keeping track, 
is an old trick that those 60s bands would use from time to time to get away from the straight minor sixth or minor third. Vocally, though, it's very Beatlesy in the way that Tom sings one single harmony note, which is E, underneath the lead melody. I won't say goodbye, my friend, for you and I will meet again. That's a trick straight out of the Fab Force playbook, and it works brilliantly to change the mood of this song again, just ever so slightly. Uh, the bassy, sort of electric guitar is playing some root notes to fill out the sound, and the organ part shines a little more brightly in that slightly higher key, which gives the short chorus a sense of urgency that it might lack if the full instrumentation in the intro came in. Stan Lynch also plays a couple of nice crash cymbal hits in here, but the drums are certainly not a prominent feature in this song at all. Well, certainly not until later when we start getting some fills. As soon as the chorus ends, we get those suspended intro chords again, accompanied by the, the seven-note, that sort of, you know, bassy electric guitar lick, which repeats through twice. The second verse is the electric guitar brought back into play to provide a little growth and build in the song. I usually leave most of my vocal and lyrical pondering until the end of the song, but I do have to comment that I love the way that Tom sings this verse. He really stretches every word just about as far as it will go without sounding forced. This contrasts nicely with the first verse, where his vocal is a little, not exactly staccato, but definitely not legato either. Um, if you listen to the way he stretches the words dancing all alone, he's almost going past the natural syllabic end point, but he makes it sound so perfect for the lyric the way he delivers it. The second chorus is pretty much a straight repeat of the first in terms of phrasing, intonation, and instrumentation. So after a minute and 10 seconds, we've had two verses and two choruses. Not unusual for the Jefflin era of tight composition and lean economy of arrangement. Coming out to the second chorus, though, I don't know if it's a trick of the brain, but on the first beat of the second and fourth bars, it sounds like there's a really faint, really breathy ah vocal that someone, most likely Tom, is singing. I've definitely never noticed that particular thing before, and I try to isolate that, but it's so low that I think it's just it's bleeding in with everything, everything else, and the, uh, the AI that I use can't separate those two tracks. Um, but if you listen really carefully under headphones, just between 111 and 112, you might hear what I'm talking about. Whatever it is, it's just another really little subtle change to this section of the song before we move into the bridge. In the bridge, we get a sense of a key change because the half bar chord uh, is A dropping to E for the bar and a half, but then the song resolves in the fourth bar back to the root B. We also get a conventional harmony part in this section on the words feeling and someday which sounds to me like it might be double to make it a little fatter. I'd also guess that that's Tom harmonizing with himself rather than Howie. Um, after each vocal line, there's also a big, heavily strummed acoustic part that jags its way into the mix to punch home the lyrics. It also sounds like there's a shaker being added in here with a, like a, a train-like syncopated little rhythm that, again, just changes the feel here ever so slightly. And that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for wholesale change. We're just looking for something different to move the song along a little bit. Leading out of this bridge, we get four beautifully choral bars leading into the solo. The vocal here again reminds me of those mop-top scallywags from Liverpool, and that ascending progression tricks you back in time, before ending seemingly prematurely on the third bar. We then have something that we've never heard to this point on a Heartbreakers album. Mike and Benmont share the solo section. Mike starts us off with a quite jagged tone, playing a heavy sort of bending little short solo over four bars. Um, it's lean and simple, and is always exactly what the song needs. Ben Mont then takes over on the keyboard, and I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing it's most likely as well it's a 200. And you can listen to Ben Mont talking about this instrument during a reverb interview from September 7th, 2017. I got a Wurlitzer, probably in 71, and I got a Marshall 100-watt stack, and I think I only ever used the stack once, 
or twice because it was just too much. And that's what I played in Mud Crutch at the beginning because through the Marshall, the Wurlitzer sounded like a rhythm guitar, or it could. Throughout this section, Benmont's organ part is high up on the keyboard and has a ton of tremolo on it uh, to make it feel like a, a barely restrained burst of energy. The last four bars of the 12-bar solo are just that organ part wailing out the suspended chords before landing on an A major over B as the instrumentation cuts out for almost two bars. And I say almost because, as a drummer, I noticed right away that the vocal for the last verse comes in early. And not like not like a just a touch ahead of the beat early, it's deliberately a full beat early. Now that's cool. I really like things like that in songs that subvert structure or form. Um, because of that two-bar stop and the decay of the instruments, you don't actually notice that the return is early unless you're counting it or really paying attention. And the only reason I was counting it was to see how many bars they stopped for. So, there you go. You can learn something new about an old song every time you listen to it. Okay, folks, it's time for some petty trivia. Your question from two weeks ago was this. What was the only song from Into the Great Wide Open that the Heartbreakers played live during their 1997 residency at the Fillmore? Was it A, Into the Great Wide Open, B, Learning to Fly, C, Two Gunslingers, or D, King's Highway? Well, now, this is embarrassing. I'm not sure I've managed this. But I went back writing this episode and checked, and somehow I must have misread something or made a mistake because there isn't a single track from Into the Great Wide Open included on that box set. Oh, wait, no, I, what I mean is, haha, it was a trick question. Uh, not a single track from Into the Great Wide Open was included on the film or release. Okay, I'll just edit that to make sure I don't want to sound like a complete idiot. Seriously, though, I don't know what I was drinking when I wrote that question. I who the heck knows. Your question for this week is this. Tom's 1993 Greatest Hits release has been certified as how many times platinum to date by the RIAA? Is it A, 8, B, 10, C, 12, or D, yeah, you guessed it, 14? Okay, back to the song. Um, the last verse punches in and sounds, it sounds a little different because we haven't had those suspended chords leading into it. And the electric guitar is adding more texture here again and the, and the song progresses as it did in the first two repetitions by coming straight out of the verse into that two-line chorus. We then hear a second iteration of the chorus before we head back into the intro suspended chord progression uh, which lasts for just over a minute and serves as the outro. We initially hear the organ take the lead before there are some vocal oohs which rise and rise before dropping back down the scale in an almost East Indian flavoured fashion. I also think that it's Howie adding these vocals in because they don't, they just don't sound like Tom to my ear. And they're definitely not Jeff Lynne. Or, well, or if they are either of those two, I'd be pretty surprised. Um, as this outro builds, I'm almost put in mind of Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles, with its chaotic use of lots of different uh, tones and single-use licks and different refrains. 
you know, musically and rhythmically. Uh, Stan Lynch starts filling really nicely on the toms, and Mike comes back in with a buzzsaw guitar tone, which yields almost immediately to an upper octave piano stab, which in turn collapses into a fantastic little bluesy piano jack with all kinds of big elaborate sweeps. It's a really interesting, unusual ending for a Heartbreaker song, and it ensures that the track fades out in the same way it started, uh, with suspended chords that don't resolve down to the key that the song is in. Lots of fun. Vocally, Tom's sitting in that very comfortable mid-range where he never has to stretch for a note. If you look at the notes he's actually singing, they're all more or less within about an octave of one another, but he scoops and bends the odd vowel here and there to put some life and some character into the performance. Lyrically, this track is obviously a fan favourite for a reason. You and I Will Meet Again is often used in reference to Tom's passing, and it's one of those very comforting phrases that emphasises human unity and the permanence of love. I really like the freeform rhyme scheme that Tom uses in the song. Uh, the first verse has a rhyme on the third and fourth lines, while the second verse doesn't really have a rhyme. I mean, I guess alone and no is a slant rhyme, but it doesn't really matter because the thoughts the lyrics are conveying are more important than any sort of rigid structure that you could adhere to. We have that same slant rhyme or imperfect rhyme, which basically just means that you're rhyming only the vowel, um, in the last verse with days and away. The first verse has a very dreamlike quality to it. You and I will meet again when we're least expecting it. Somewhere in some far-off place, I will recognize your face. It has that hopeful, positive quality to it that starts the song off perfectly and establishes what this song is actually going to be in the first two lines. I won't say goodbye, my friend, for you and I will meet again. And I think this is also where the universality of this song, this is what it hinges on. Even if we haven't lost a romantic love in our lives, we've all lost a friend, either you know, to death or just to time. And some of those friends we lose along our journey can sometimes circle back into our orbit. So the choice to use my friend instead of my love is one that speaks once more to the lyrical artistry and attention to detail that Tom had in his writing, and that really, I think, kicked into high gear on this record. I heard you singing to no one. I saw you dancing all alone. One day you belonged to me. Next day, I just wouldn't know. The second verse does speak to a more, you know, a more romantic relationship, but it's, again, it's followed with a more abstract chorus. One day all the rules will bend and you and I will meet again. I like this idea of rules being bent. It lends itself to thinking about, you know, bending the rules of space-time in a science fiction way or bending the rules of societal norms, you know, breaking the race barrier or the same-sex relationship taboo. There's just something very Shakespearean in the inferences that wait for us beneath the simplicity of that line. The bridge throws the rhyming scheme out the window entirely, and gleefully. I've got a feeling, I've got a feeling so strong, maybe some days our roads will cross. It's not a particularly inventive lyric, but it acts as a lyrical bridge to complement the instrumental one. Um, we've had a very interpersonal pair of verses up to this point, um, but in the last verse, Tom really takes out his paintbrushes and crafts a stunning visual for us. A red-winged hawk is circling. The black top stretches out for days. How could I get close to you and still feel so far away? The only other song I can draw to mind that uses a hawk in a similar way, though that's a red-tailed hawk, um, is in the song uh, Down Here Below by Steve Earle, which I also love. Pale male, the famous red-tailed hawk, performs wings dance high above midtown Manhattan, circles around for one last pass over the park. Uh, there's something that humans have always found captivating about flight and the majesty of a hawk, and combined with that aerial perspective, it's an image that I'd love to have rolling around in my mind. The blacktop stretches out for days. Again, the word highway would fit there. It would work well, convey the same message, and you wouldn't feel it was out of place. But the selection of blacktop instead makes it so much more interesting, both phonetically, the way it's delivered, and visually as part of the song. 
We start with the hawk gliding on the breeze and we finish with the line that dovetails, pun intended, brilliantly in the chorus. I hear a voice come on the wind saying you and I will meet again. The last chorus line then leads us out with a reinforcement of belief. I don't know how, I don't know when, but you and I will meet again. It's a very sneaky little lyric that can seem fairly basic and throwaway at first glance, but as has so often been the case on this album, it's got a few little corners to peer around and depths that can be safely and comfortably explored. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I think this song, as much as anything else from this album, is a marker laid down to prepare the foundations for Wildflowers. If you listen to uh, You and I Will Meet Again and then listen to A Higher Place, you feel a sense of continuity and kinship that simply can't be a coincidence in my mind. It's almost as if the 12th track from Wildflowers is a continuation of this story, of this feeling uh, that Thomas set up in today's song. And I'm not suggesting that this was a conscious act on Tom's part, but these things that he was considering at this time in his life started to bleed through into future works, where he'll expand on or revisit certain themes, and sometimes um, in sonically similar ways as well as lyrical. Now, and the more I listen to it, the more I think that this album, Integrate Wide Open, could just be the most pivotal album in Tom's career, creatively speaking. If Wildflowers is the palace that Tom built for us, then Into the Great Wide Open was the foundation it was built upon. I don't think we'd have Wildflowers if we hadn't had this album first, at least not in the same way or possibly with the same depth. I don't think Tom would have put together Wildflowers as the follow-up to Full Moon Fever and certainly not as a response to Let Me Up I've Had Enough. He needed this expansion of lyrical focus, coherence of identity and towering ambition to shift himself into a different mindset where he could really stretch his wings and soar above the popular musical landscape. It seems to mark a change of confidence and of self-belief, even in a writer as accomplished as he already was. This is the album that was the start of the rest of his career. Full Moon Fever, by comparison, was more like letting go of the past. Okay, Pettyheads, that's it for this week. Uh, another simple song, another catchy hook, another memorable idea that Tom puts in our heads and leaves there as a treat. I'm 100% sold on Into the Great Wide Open these days, where I didn't listen to it front, uh, front to back very often before. And this song is another little forgotten deep cut that does so much with so little, very economically. The core idea is a fairly profound one, but it's wrapped up in a breezy, light little piece of music. Just marvellous. There's a ton to love about this song, both lyrically and musically. We get the Red Wing Hawk, and we have Mike and Benmont sharing a solo. We have some beautiful harmonies and all sorts of interesting jamming in the outro. Now, does it soar as highly as the very top tracks on this album? Probably not. So even though my heart says it's an 8 and it's a song that I love, I'm going to give this one a very, very solid 7 out of 10. The Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check us out on Twitter at DeepDivePodNet. There's lots of stuff there, some great people and some great shows. What's up, all you rock fans? My name is Mark Kameyer. I'm here representing the quintessential Van Halen podcast, and the podcast will rock. Myself and my co-host, Corey Morissette, are breaking down the entire Van Halen catalog 
one track at a time. We spin a wheel, and where it lands, that's the song we talk about. We go into it musically, lyrically, maybe even a behind-the-scenes story. It's all random, and it's all fun. It's a show by fans for the fans. Not experts, not rock historians, just simple fans here at the Deep Dive Podcasting Network. We are, and the podcast will rock, and we will rock you later. Uh, you can also check out my other podcasts, uh, Seaside Pod Review, a Queen podcast that I do with Randy Woods. Um, and you can check out the Ultimate Catalog Clash that I co-host with the hardest working man in podcasting, Corey Morissette. We're covering uh, 90s era Metallica right now, and I've been having a lot of fun listening to a band that I knew nothing about and did not listen to. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube at The Tom Petty Project, and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. Go follow, like, subscribe as applicable, and please leave a review or rating if you, if you haven't already, any of you feel like it. Um, keep talking to me on social media. I enjoy reading out your comments on the show. Uh, and as a weekly reminder, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. So when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit official streaming platforms or go to your local independent record seller and buy some physical media. If you're looking for official merchandise, please go to TomPetty.com. And if you're looking for merchandise for this show, please go to TomPettyProject.com. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook. If you're not already a member, uh, they're great fan communities and they're well worth uh, going digging around in. And uh, yeah. yeah, go check them out. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy. And I'll be back with you next week with the penultimate track from side two of Into the Great Wide Open, the riotously rowdy Making Some Noise. Bye-bye. <laughs>